We've been in this series, Live Well, and it's all about uh, journeying towards well-being. There's a big word that runs throughout the entire Bible, the word shalom. It's a Jewish word. It can mean peace. It can mean uh, healing. Um, it can be the absence of conflict, but probably the best translation is well-being. And it's used hundreds of times in the scripture to describe the kind of life that God has for you. That God wants us to live with well-being. We're in a culture, let's be honest, that attacks our well-being. Do you feel that way at times? The busyness, the grind, all of the messages we receive that are unhealthy, that work against our well-being. And so in this series, we're exploring time-tested wisdom from the scripture about living well in these various areas of our lives. And, and today we're talking about living well physically, living well in our physical health. And this has been good for me. It comes right in time, uh, right before Thanksgiving, when I usually, I'm doing kind of well on my diet and I fall off the wagon. Thanksgiving gets me every year and the pumpkin pies lurking in the shadows. And I just am surprised by it every single year. And so this is helpful to me. And I want to say this at the beginning, and this is really important that we live in a culture in which we, we, we do this to each other, or some of us do this to each other, and it's this, this culture of body shaming. And, and it images everything, and, and wanting to be Instagram perfect, because we see people who, of course, just put their best selves forward in the best lighting, or they're Photoshopped. And we believe that somehow we have to live up to this impossible ideal of physical beauty that everybody has to have the same body type, that everybody has to look 10 or 15 years younger than we actually are. There are a lot of great things about American culture. I'm thankful to live here. There are a lot of great things. That part of our culture is trash. It's a lie. It's based on many lies about what matters. And so you have young people who grow up on the verge of suicide, or perhaps they do take their lives because they feel like they can't live up to this impossible standard. You have, as we age, people who become depressed because we don't look like we did 10 years ago, no matter what we eat, no matter how much we, we work out, no matter how much lettuce we consume, we just can't get there. And so you have this incredible weight and guilt and, and really the word is shame. It's like this public uh, condemnation if you have a, a body that doesn't look the way that some people think it does and so we think it should. And so we need to say, first of all, we're not all going to have the same body type. We're, we're not going to look the way we did 10 years ago. You can be a, a perfectly healthy person medically and you, your body looks different than somebody else who is perfectly healthy medically. So there's no room to perpetuate the ridiculousness that we see in our culture. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about being healthy. And ironically, there are some of us who feel that body shaming culture and then we starve ourselves. Wanting to look a certain way, well, that's not healthy either. We want to, we want to be healthy people so that we can enjoy the life that was given to us uh, by a good giver. And we can maximize our life and not waste it and, and live as long as possible and do as many good things in our lives as possible. We also know that COVID has taken a toll on our, of course, mental and emotional health, but also our physical health. I put on my COVID-10, I don't know about you, over the past couple of years, working from home and the food's right there, and then we're bombarded with crazy news every day, and stress eating's pretty easy. 
to fall into. I, I, I kind of maybe shed five pounds, three, five, I don't know. If, you, if, I, if I use pastor math, which is always inflating the numbers, then it's five, I think. And so you, uh, maybe you've done the same, I don't know, but I still have more that I could, that I could lose. And so there's been a, a 54% surge in national alcohol sales. Isn't that, maybe I was going to say, isn't that surprising? And you probably go, no, not, not a bit. Early in the pandemic, Conan O'Brien tweeted, could we redefine alcoholism? Could we just adjust the goalposts on that? Gyms closed during the shutdown. So if you were used to working out, well, then your routine was thrown off. That was true for me. And I still haven't gotten back on that wagon. And then many of us, because of the events the past two years, have, have in seriousness spent time doom scrolling looking through social media and just seeing the latest you know, wild, unbelievable event that's happened in our country. And of course, we want to, if you're like me, you're tempted to overeat or overdrink or you know, just not sleep well because of, of the stress that we've all lived through. So as we begin here, um, for most of us, we want to be healthy people. We have good intentions, but there is something in the way of us getting there. And it can be those unhealthy images, body, shame, all that can be in the way, absolutely. But there can be other things in the way. And so what we're asking today is not what's a good diet or what's a good exercise plan. I'm not a doctor. I'm not qualified to talk about that. You could see your doctor about that. But what we're talking about today is seeing a different perspective of our physical health that could possibly help us to get some of those things out of the way. And so if you're struggling physically, emotionally, or mentally, first of all, I would say it is important to see your doctor first, and then maybe a counselor after that. Because we are integrated beings, and you know that your physical health is integrated with your mental health. And so we should say this, sorry, I have to give a couple of disclaimers here first. You can think that you have a physical issue, but it's actually a mental issue, or an emotional issue. And vice versa, you can think you have a mental or emotional issue and it's, all, it's actually a physical issue. Do you know what I'm talking about? You could have chest pains and you think you're having cardiovascular issues, but it's actually anxiety. Or you could uh, have chest pains and you're grieving something and you weren't really sure about that. Conversely, you could feel sad and down and depressed and it's really a thyroid. And that's why we say it's, it's probably best to go to the doctor first rule out any physical causes that could be really, really, uh, you have to catch them quickly to do something about them, and then see a mental health professional. So if we were going to say, let's jump in, if we were just going to say, what are the keys to physical health? If this was just a talk on being physically healthy, what would the keys to physical health be? And see if we can get some agreement here. Eat a healthy diet. Sound good? Okay. Engage in an appropriate amount of exercise for your body, according to your doctor's recommendation. Sound good? Right? Okay. Get plenty of sleep. Sound good? All right. So there, there are people in this world, God bless them, who can read that list and just do it. And it works. Man, I, I admire those people. I am envious of those people. I, I wish I was one of those people, but I am not. And maybe you are, and maybe you're not. If we wanted to talk about physical health, this could be a really short sermon. Amen. Pass the offering plate. What's for lunch? There it is. Do those things. If you're like me, however, it's not so easy to do those things. 
And maybe it's perhaps because there are other things in the way. And, and once again, maybe you're dealing with a health issue and, and you would like to be able to get up and exercise and you can't because of the health issue. But it just seems like there, for me, there are things in the way. And so my life has looked like a, a cycle of trying and failing to eat right and get exercise and get plenty of sleep. And I'll, I'll do well for a while and then I fall off the wagon. About five years ago, I was the healthiest I've ever been in my life. I was eating a low-fat diet. I was eating fat-free Greek yogurt for breakfast with berries and nuts, like a parfait, and then tuna and chicken breasts and, and working out three times a week. And I was the healthiest I've ever been. And then one Thanksgiving rolled around and the pumpkin pie got me. That's what typically happens when I'm on a roll. And, and then I got kind of back on the wagon three-ish years ago and that lasted for a little while. And then the pandemic hit and my gym closed and, and now the, the gym's back open. And now check this out. The gym that I go to is literally across the street from my house. Like I can get a tiny bit of exercise walking there. It takes me just a, you know, a minute to get there. And I still haven't gotten back on and then, and then put on that COVID weight and then, and then shed it. And, and so it's, for me, it's a cycle of, of trying and failing. And I was doing a little bit better. And then Halloween rolled around this year. And I wanted to get candy for the kids to pass out, but we didn't have many trick-or-treaters. And so we're left with all these Reese's peanut butter cups laying around. It's like the, the spawn of Satan in candy form laying around my house and, you know, calling my name. And so that's what my story is. How about you? But for me, it's just this cycle of trying and failing. And as I've reflected on it, I've realized what's behind that. And for me, it looks like this. There are mental and emotional realities in my life that get in the way of me checking off what looks on a screen like an easy list. And so perhaps if we were going to start to explore what does it look like to be, to be physically well, perhaps we start by addressing the mental and emotional reasons behind our physical health. I suppose for some of us, maybe it is motivation. I don't know. Uh, or just, you know, the busyness of life. Um, of course, we believe that taking care of ourselves, it's important, but we're in a habit. And, and habits are real things so that you can, you know, get into a good habit and fall out of that habit. Perhaps that's part of it. But if you're like me, there are, there are emotional and mental realities that we can become aware of. For example, uh, if I want to eat a good diet, eat a low-fat meal, but I'm, I'm really stressed out from the day and think, oh, man, I just, don't, I just don't feel like cooking it. It's easy to go to some processed food that's more fattening or full of carbs and eat that instead. Or when it comes to getting sleep, let's just be honest. I mean, the reality of life in America over the past few years has been extremely anxiety-producing, which makes sleep a challenge. And if some of us we're honest, we would probably say, you know, I'm really not that excited about getting up in the morning. And if you're not looking forward to the next day, then you don't really want to go to sleep because you don't want to get up in the morning. That's a reality that probably more than you think of us have felt over the past few years. And it's tempting for me to doom scroll through Facebook and Twitter before I go to bed, thinking that I'll, that I'll feel better if I'm more informed and somehow I just can't sleep. Or, or maybe there's a physical cause of insomnia. You know, there are so many things, but, but there, for me, there have been mental and emotional 
hurdles in the way. And so for me, I've started to think about, you know, when we talked about emotion a few weeks ago and we asked the question, how do I feel right now and why? And that might have more to do with my physical health than, than I realized before. Because if I start to explore how do I feel right now and why, I can start to deal with the emotional and mental stuff going on that's in the way of me doing these seemingly easy things. How about you? And so if you really wanted to experience physical well-being, it may be yeah, going to the doctor first, but then seeing a counselor. If there's something in the way of doing these seemingly easy things that we listed earlier, maybe that's the place to start. See the doctor. And then maybe t- talk to a counselor. And, and there are people who say, well, I can't afford it. And it's expensive. I mean, healthcare in America, that's a whole different subject we could spend time on. And at the same time, like the old cliche goes, perhaps, perhaps we can't afford not to. Because it's our health and our well-being and the way that we feel that we're talking about. So maybe that's the starting point, to address the mental and emotional realities that makes it tough for us to, to experience physical well-being. All right, so maybe there's something else. Uh, I want to read a scripture today that, that talks about our bodies, perhaps from God's perspective, or at least the perspective of somebody who wants to follow Jesus Christ. What is our physical body? How, how should we view it? And there's a scripture in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the followers of Jesus living in the Greek city of Corinth. It's about 40 miles southwest of Athens, Greece. And Paul started a church there around AD 50, and then he moved on, and then he started writing letters back to that little congregation of Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. And this is one of the letters that he wrote, and and Corinth's reputation was, was pretty much the sin city of its time. It was the Vegas of its time. And there were a lot of things that went on in Corinth that... Prudish people, you don't, wouldn't quite, you know, want to think about or so. And so Paul wanted to deal with some of the things that were happening in Corinth. And one of those things is, and and we want to be a children's safe environment. There may be children listening here, but one of those things was that there were temples in Corinth, centers of worship, and the worship practice in those temples was that there would be slaves at the temple, and then a a worshiper would go to that temple, and they would have a physical relationship with that slave. And that was the way of worshiping those gods. You understand why Corinth was thought of as the sin city of its day. And Paul writes about this practice, and so that's the context of this verse, but the, the, the verse is about more than this, because he points out some common sayings that the Corinthians had about their physical bodies that have more to do with just that. And it it points out what Paul thinks about our physical bodies. What is the purpose of our physical body? So let's read it here. I'll read selected verses from the passage. Verse 12, Paul writes, by pointing out this common saying in Corinth, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. That's a saying they had, I guess. 
Paul says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, what goes on in that temple with the slaves and so on, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then let's get to verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's interesting, isn't it? And so Paul starts by pointing out these common sayings the Corinthians had. Essentially, he said, it's my body, I can do with it whatever I want. And Paul said, okay, well, you have rights, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah, you can do what you want, but not everything is going to be helpful for you. Not everything is going to lead to health for you. Not everything is going to lead to well-being for you. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food. I can eat whatever I want. I can consume whatever I live however I want. Paul says, well, you could, but that's just not the most beneficial thing for you. And then for Paul, it works like this. And this, I mean, this is not popular American thinking about our bodies, about our beings. But this is what Paul thinks about the body. He views himself as being owned by God. He views his hands and feet as being the extension of God, that God can work through him that God owns his body. Now, that doesn't mean that the government owns, his, owns your body, I, that other people can control. No, I don't believe that. But Paul says, God owns my body. My body belongs to God. That my body is a part of the body of Christ. And that Jesus lives through me. And so Paul believes that if you're a follower of Jesus, your body belongs to God and you want to honor God with your body. Now, in my experience growing up in Christian America, this was commonly linked to purity culture for me. So the verse was all about um, being sexually pure, which is great. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good goal. And at the same time, there was shame attached to this. When we talk about body shaming, there was shame attached to this message. And so I got the idea that that this passage means that you know, I, I need to turn off MTV because Britney's wearing a crop top. That's what I've shared before. That was the great Satan in the 90s in evangelical Christianity for, for people my age was MTV. You, when you watch MTV, Jesus cries. That was the message that we, that we received. And often this, this passage was the justification for that. And so it was just more guilt producing, more shaming. If, if shame was a part of the issue already, here, oh, here's more, more shame for you then. Oh, you got a lot of shame. Let's fix that. Let's give you more shame. And if, if we just bury you in shame, somehow, some way it'll all work out. And surprise, it didn't quite turn out like that. And so I, I think that there's something else here that can be helpful to us, not the, sh- the pile of shame but something else that can be helpful. I read a story recently when I was getting ready for the sermon, and and some things kind of connected for me that helped me. And so I'll share it with you. It's a story in the Washington Post, and and, uh, it was an article December 4th, 2019, and the author is Kathy Free, and she writes a story about uh, a guy named Freddie. And she writes, hours after he was born in 1989, Freddie was set down next to a dumpster in a rural area of the panhandle of Florida. So the the mother gave birth to him and and left him by a dumpster. 
And a passerby found this little baby laying alone and crying and called the police. And the baby was hospitalized with minor injuries for two days and then placed in a foster home. And the couple who took him in as a foster child were named Nathan and Betty. And they lived nearby in Quincy, Florida. And they already had a daughter, but they took in foster children. And they took in this little baby, Freddie. And it wasn't long after they brought him into their home that they decided to adopt Freddie. And I have a picture of Freddie and his adoptive mom, Betty, here. It's Freddie with his mom, Betty. And... Uh, in elementary school, as he, as he grew up, they loved him, they nurtured him. You know, in elementary school, as he grew up, there's some kids in the elementary school that found out about his story, and they started calling him Dumpster Baby, right? It takes you back to school. Ah, oh, the school days. And, and, and so they, you know, they found out about his story, but he lived in a loving home. And his parents loved him and, and nurtured him and gave him good messages about his worth and and they, that forced them to explain what happened to him. But they loved him and cared for him. And then when he was nine, his adopted father, Nathan, who was a maintenance worker at Florida State University, paid $25 for a broken 1989 Macintosh computer at a thrift store and gave it to Freddie as a gift. I have a picture of uh, Freddie with this old uh, computer here. It's worth a lot more than 25 bucks now. I know that. But So his father gave Freddie this computer when he was nine years old, and it, it didn't work. But what Freddie did was he, he took it apart and then put it back together, and he took it apart and put it back together, and he did that several times, and he learned about the computer, and he finally got it to power on by using some components from an old radio that his dad got him as well. And at 15, he started a computer repair company, and by 17, he had 150 clients who needed websites designed and computer storage, and in 2012, at the age of 23, he sold a GPS program to an undisclosed company in Kansas for $2.2 million. And his father, Nathan, developed Alzheimer's and would wander off when he was confused. And Freddie created a GPS tracking device that they put in his father's shoes so they would be able to track him if he wandered out of the house. Nathan died in 2014, and, and Freddie started a new company that sells wireless uh, glucose meters for people with diabetes, and he's working on a tracking device for people who are experiencing homelessness so their, their families can hope to stay in touch with their family member who is experiencing homelessness. And he said, that could be me on the streets. I could have been homeless or dead if I hadn't been found by the dumpster when I was born. As an adult, he learned that his birth mother was 15, and she was in prostitution and addicted to drugs, and, and she did what she could do. But he loves his adoptive parents. He said, my parents adopted me and gave me love and a future. He said, they did their best to make the world a better place, and now that's all I want to do, too. I'm at a happy place in my life, and it's important for me to pay it forward. I'm just one person, but I believe that if I can have an impact on even one other person, it can multiply. And he has a daughter as well, wife and daughter. He says, I want my daughter to grow up doing that. When I read this story in connection to the passage that we just read, here's what happened in, my, in, in me. And I'll share it with you. And, and if it's helpful to you, great. It's been helpful to me. So when I think about my cycle of trying and failing, 
When I try to exercise and eat right and get sleep and it works for a little while and it stops. What happens for me is I am in a good routine and then yeah, maybe Thanksgiving comes and it's a pumpkin pie, but then also the stress of life. And, and I'll go ahead and, and I'll you know, just eat something quick and something comforting, comfort food. And so it, it kind of works like this, that I feel bad, therefore I'll eat. Or I feel bad, therefore I'll stay up late because I don't want to get up in the morning. And, and I, I don't get enough sleep. Or I feel fatigued, and I, so I just don't want to walk across the street and, and go to the gym. And so I feel bad, therefore I engage in whatever behavior that is not leading to physical well-being for me. But here's what this passage says to me. If I can say, wait a second, not in a shaming way, not in a guilt-producing way, but okay, I want to follow Jesus Christ, and, and I do want to honor God with my body, my physical health. And I see where Paul's coming from when he said, well, we belong to God. It's not just my body, it's God's body. It belongs to, I belong to God. It's a good thing. What that does for me is it gives me a different perspective. And see if this works for you. Where, okay, if, if I feel bad, therefore I do whatever leads to physical unhealth. If I get a different perspective and I, I think, well, wait a second. I want to honor God with my body. I don't own my body. God owns my body. It gives me some distance from my own body, my own physical health. Of course, we're all integrated. We know that. But in my perspective, it gives me a little bit of distance. It's like I'm able to kind of step aside and see myself, my physical health, my body, and think, hmm, how am I taking care of that thing? It's not just I feel bad, so I'm going to eat because it's just like it's automatic habit. But it, it, this broke me out of the thinking like that. Wait a second. I've got some distance now. I want, if, if God owns my body and I want to honor God with my body, how am I taking care of it? And, and I read this story at the same time. And it's, kind of, it's kind of hard hitting. But it spoke to me. Am I, am, I, am I throwing my body in the dumpster? Am I trashing my body? Because you see the difference when somebody neglects something feels like they can't take care of it versus what happens when people come along who say, no, I'm going to nurture this child and care for this child and raise this child. And you see what happens. And the guy turns into this awesome, productive member of society. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's the choice I have with my physical health. That's the choice I have with my body. I see, oh, oh, there it is. There's my physical health. There's my body. How am I caring for that? Am I neglecting it? Am I trashing it? Am I trashing my body? Or am I nurturing it? And taking care of it. And it was just this thing. Normally that would be like a guilt producing thing. But it wasn't for me. It was a freeing thing. Wait, I, I'm not chained to just having to eat when I feel bad. But I can get a different perspective. And I can decide, no, I, I want to care for my physical health. I want to nurture my physical body. Now once again, back to point one. A person could, be, could think that. Well, that sounds good. Great. But then there are mental and emotional things in the way. And so we have to deal with those things. Or maybe physical realities. Like we need to go to the doctor. Go to the counselor. But that was freeing to me. It gave me a different perspective to see my physical health. And then finally, it helped me to see my body as a resource. Not just something, well, I feel bad, therefore I eat. Or I, or I feel bad about the way I look, therefore I starve myself. We don't want to do that either. But to see my body as a resource that I can allow God to use my body as a resource to accomplish God's purpose in this world. It's a tool. 
It's, it's, it's a piece of, it's, it's a piece of uh, equipment that I can use. It's a resource that I can use. I, I have some distance from, I see, okay, there's my physical health. There's my body. Am I, am I trashing it or am I nurturing it and taking care of it? Because it's a resource that I can use. I want to live a long life, but I can, I can use my life to do good things in the world. With my physical health, with my body, I can bring value into this world the way that Nathan and Betty did when they adopted Freddie. Or I can serve in ways that bring justice and righteousness in this world. I can live in such a way that maximizes my well-being and, and the longevity of my life, and I can go out of this world feeling like I made a difference with my health in my body. This is the Christmas story. How many of you realize we're five Sundays from Christmas? Oh my goodness, right? Life is marching on. It's a reminder. It's going by quickly. Maximize it. But this is the Christmas story. Christian theology is Jesus is God. Jesus is co-eternal with God. Jesus existed before the foundations of the world. And and in the Christmas story, Jesus decides Jesus is going to put on a human body, human flesh. It's called the incarnation, putting on flesh. And Jesus takes on a human body, being fully God and fully human, to live out God's purpose in the world. That's the Christmas story. We're two Sundays away from the beginning of Advent, which is the season of the year when we, Advent means arrival, where we anticipate the arrival of Jesus all over again as we celebrate Christmas. And just a quick commercial here, what we're going to do is a, a series called The Journey, Walking the Road to Bethlehem. And when it comes to the Christmas story, a lot of times we, you know, we've, we, we've heard it so many times, we assume we know everything about it. But a lot of times there are things we actually think we know that we don't know about the Christmas story or things that maybe we kind of get wrong. Regardless, though, what we want to do in this series is we want to explore what Christmas meant in its original context. The Christmas story in its historical context in the scripture, using archaeology, using video of the Holy Land, going to the the actual sites where the, the Christmas story is set, and exploring the meaning of the Christmas story in its historical context. And then I'm also going to lead a four week connect group. So we're announcing a a brand new online connect group. It's going to be four weeks in the month of December, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Arizona, 8 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to study this book because the series is based on this book by the same title by Adam Hamilton. And so you could go to wellchurch.org. The Zoom link is there. I'm going to be leading that group starting uh, Wednesday, December 1st. And so just like a few weeks ago, you have the sermon, you have the reading, and then you have an online connect group if you want to discuss it. I know a lot of us are busy during the holidays, but maybe you're not quite as busy this year. But that's where we're headed uh, for Advent. And this is the Christmas story when Jesus takes on flesh and wants to honor God with his body. Now, I did some some fundraising and marketing work for a community center and food bank called Azend here in Chandler. And that's the, the organization we're collecting food for next Sunday is our collection for the Thanksgiving food drive. And uh, I learned in my time there that, as I said in the prayer, almost 20% of American children are born into poverty, number one. Is that shocking to you? Almost 20% of American children are born into poverty. And the, the poverty level is really low. You could be double the poverty level and you're still struggling financially. And so the one in six kids in America really struggles financially. 
And I learned that the first few years of life are the most important years of life when it comes to physical well-being for a child and their nutrition, the opportunities they get reading to them and developing their little brains and getting stimulation where they can explore the world and have a healthy, nurturing, loving environment like Freddie had. I learned that a lack of nutrition will put a child into a hole that they can never really fully climb out of, of no choice of their own. They're completely at the mercy of their parents or people around them who, like Nathan and Betty, people who can step in and care for them and do something for them. When I, when I read that, I remember thinking, that's just not right. That there are kids who are born into a situation in which they have no choice to be born into it. They have no control over it. But if they don't get the proper nutrition, it sets them on a course for life that they can't fully recover from. Even if they can do great things, they can't fully recover from not having proper nutrition early in life. And that, that produced a drive in me. I, wait, I want to do something about that. And then one day at, the, at his end, um, I was there in the lobby and a, a mom walked in carrying a little baby and maybe one or two, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but a, a, a small child who was crying. And she said, we're out of formula and my baby's hungry and I don't have any money and, and can I get some food for the baby? And now some of you might be thinking, well, why doesn't she breastfeed? Right? Well, they're... There are reasons why people do the things they do, and we can't say to a little baby who's hungry and crying, hey, can we give your mom breastfeeding classes for four weeks, and then you'll get fed? It just doesn't work that way. And then there are some moms, because of what goes on in their lives, they, you wouldn't want them breastfeeding a child. And so this was a woman in need who walked in with a hungry baby, and there was a great team of people there. Somebody went back to the food bank, and they got a bottle of baby formula or a can of baby formula, and they brought it out, and the mother poured it in the bottle, and I just kind of watched it all happen. And she sat down, she said, thank you so much, and she sat down, and, and this, this baby's just sucking away on this bottle of formula. This baby who had been crying and hungry, we all know what it feels like to be hungry. And this baby's just pounding this bottle of formula, as content as possible. And I remember looking at that situation and thinking that was a hungry baby, no choice of its own. And now that baby's content and has a full belly. And what's the difference? I served in a great team of people with a great team of people there. And I was a fundraiser and marketer, and I, you know, I, I'm a, a cog in the wheel. But I remember thinking, it's because of what we did with our hands and our minds and our brains and our eyes and our mouths talking to people about the need and raising money and re getting donations and typing emails with our fingers to potential donors and making phone calls and using our mouths and our brains, our physical bodies to talk to people about the need and then using you know, our arms and legs to carry boxes of formula to the food bank when people donated them. And I had this sense of that baby is eating right now and is content because of what I did with my physical body and what this entire team of people did. And in that moment, I had what I could describe as an intoxicating sense of fulfillment. 
a sense of, of, of personal empowerment. Oh, we did that. And we could do more of that. And this is awesome. This feels good. This feels like what life is all about. And we have the opportunity with our physical health, with our bodies to maximize it, live as long as possible. And with our bodies, do things that allow God to live through our hands and feet and make life better for other people. Like that little baby pounding that bottle of formula. And next week is our Thanksgiving food drive that will benefit Zen, that organization. And normally, you know, you would put, a, you would put bins up and every week people would bring a little bit more and you'd see the bin, the, the bin get full and then the pile of canned food and all that would get larger and larger. And we would all be motivated, like, oh, I forgot to go shopping this week. I'm going to bring it next week. We're portable here. So we didn't want people carrying an, an increasingly heavy pile of canned goods in and out for four weeks on a Sunday morning. And so... There's going to be a bin back in the corner next Sunday. And what would be awesome is with your physical body, if you could donate non-perishable food items, and wellchurch.org has the list of the most needed items, and bring those in and fill up this bin. And then it could be spilling out all over the floor with food items who will go to families like that child. And you will know that with your hands and your feet and your physical body, you made life better for a family here. And if you're online, we put the, the virtual food drive link online this week. And it's really cool. And if you're in person, you could do this too. But if you go to wellchurch.org, you get the link. And it's like a, a, a piece of software where um, it looks like a, sh a shelf and you can drag a box of cereal across the cashier and it drops in a bag or like baby formula, drag a box across the cashier and it falls in a bag and then you donate that to, to the food bank. But with our physical bodies, we have the opportunity to bless people and our Thanksgiving food drive next week. And when I think about that, it gives me a little bit of perspective. All right? Now I'm kind of making myself accountable. Like these people know I need to get back to the gym now. So you know, if somebody asks me, I'm going to have to tell the truth. But this has helped me because that list looks easy, but it's hard for me. So, okay, I, I need to address the mental and emotional stuff going on that makes that list hard for me. How do I feel right now and why? What's going on in my life? Fatigue, sadness. Anxiety that's making it hard to eat right and exercise and those kinds of things. Or maybe, maybe there's a physical condition, right? We want to go to the doctor and then, and then see a counselor. And then it gave me a different perspective. This passage where it doesn't have to be that, well, I feel bad, therefore I eat. Or I feel bad, so I don't exercise. But wait a second, I've got some distance. That's my physical health right now, right there. There's my body. I can see it. It doesn't necessarily belong to me. I want to honor God with it, not in a guilt-producing way, but I want to do that with my life. And so there it is. I can see it, and I have some distance. Do I want to trash it, or do I want to care for it? And it's even more motivating for me because, oh, if I care for it and I take care of it, then God can live out God's purpose through my body. And I can have the intoxicating, punch-drunk sense of fulfillment of watching that little baby eat formula. And realize, I did that with my body. God did that through me using my body. So we don't want to be a part of body shaming. And an Instagram images everything culture. We're done with all that. We don't want to starve ourselves. We do want to take care of ourselves and be healthy. I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for a scripture that spoke to me 
powerfully this week. And I'm, I've been kind of worried about this sermon because I realize the culture that we live in and the messages that people receive that are absolutely ridiculous and harmful and the opposite of well-being. Images that we don't look the way we should or uh, we don't look as young as we used to. And there, there, there's a, a culture of shame that many of us, if not all of us, feel. We want nothing to do with that. That's the opposite of well-being. We're all not going to look the same. We don't have the same body types. It's just how it works. We just want to be healthy. And maybe the most important thing in this discussion is feeling the freedom and the permission to go talk to a doctor, go talk to a counselor. And just say, I don't feel the way I want to feel. I'm not as healthy as I want to be. And I want to deal with the things that are in the way. And I know I'll feel better if I do. I'll be happier probably if I do. But maybe, maybe that's the power here. That you give us a way to, to journey towards physical wellness. And we don't have to be caught in the shame cycle of trying and failing and trying to look like somebody else. And God, the scripture is a powerful reminder to us that there are ways of seeing our physical health and our body that are different from our culture. Not just in the shaming messages, but that I can get a little bit of distance and, and I can choose. Oh, I do want to care for my physical health. I, it's a resource. It belongs to you. If I want to follow you, it belongs to you. And it's, I want to care for it. So God, help us once again is because, because of the culture we live in, it's easy to walk out of here. Feel like, oh, I need to work out more. Need to eat better. No, that's not, the, that's not step one. Maybe it's addressing the reasons that are behind that. And we'll feel better and want to, to live out that list. God, we thank you that in all these ways that we've talked about and we're going to wrap up the series next week that we can experience shalom, well-being. That's what you have for us. We're not, we're not trapped. We're not enslaved. There is a way that we can feel better and experience well-being. And then we have this amazing opportunity to feel the fulfillment that comes when we, we allow you to live through our bodies and we, we donate food and we make a difference with our bodies. We make lives better Children who were crying are now contentedly pounding a bottle of formula because of what we did. And we have that fulfillment that is even better than, than anything else that held us captive before. We thank you for a freeing word about our physical well-being. In Jesus' name. And everybody said